I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode of Good Faith Weekly, we're going to take a deeper dive later on in the segment to talk about the importance of Sabbathing. Are we taking a great pause during this pandemic? Jessica McDougall from Millwood Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, wrote a fabulous article at ethicsdaily.com this week. And then in our interview, we're going to be talking to Rabbi Bob Alper, discussing the importance of laughter during crisis. So, Autumn, how are you doing this week? Everybody uh, healthy and wealthy and wise over there at your house? Uh, well, none of us are sick, and that's really the benchmark that we're counting as success at our house. Now, okay, now to be honest with be honest with the audience, if you're like me, every time I get a little sniffle, every time I get a little, <coughs> I am racing for the thermometer to see if I have a temperature, and thank God I haven't developed yeah. that. I think, and you know, I think it's just this crazy allergy time right now too. So you're like every sneeze, you kind of, your ears perk up and your head tilts to the side. Like, is that a something? But no, so far it's, it's not. And I was joking earlier this week about, um, you know, four children and the youngest three are seven and under. And so my 13 year old isn't really um, counted in this next part of the story because I don't kiss her forehead every morning. We're just not really at that point of our relationship anymore. Yeah, yeah, got it. Yep, but with my three little ones, um, I sort of use my like good morning forehead kiss to gauge whether or not they feel warm or not. Because a mama knows if their baby has mm-hmm. has sure. a baby. Um, but so far, everybody's just you know cool as a cucumber, and um, they're happy to be home. Outstanding. Well, good. Well, how are y'all doing? We've been we've been doing well. I mean, a little bit of paranoia has set in. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna not gonna lie. I mean. You know, there may be somebody in the house who will go unnamed who, mm-hmm. if uh, they get a hangnail, it's like, I got the COVID, I got the COVID. Uh, it's like, I don't think that's a symptom, but I get your, get your uh, uh, frightened state, I guess. So, but no, we're, we're doing well. Um, you know, I'm not, I'll also be honest with you. I mean, the walls are closing in a little bit uh, after over a week now of uh, staying sheltered in the home. Uh, but uh, it's good. I mean, it's good. We're finding a new in, in a new normal. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned sort of the walls feeling like they're closing in. We um, were talking the other day about the way that our homes have sort of transformed. You know, mm. it used to be a place that we, you know, came home to at five thirty in the evening, and we're sort of here till we got out the door about twelve hours later. Um, but now it truly has transformed into. Um, our safe place from the outside world. And, you know, we're, I'm just infinitely thankful that I have a place that I can be safe and sheltered away. And, or, you know, we're living a lifestyle that enables me to just hunker down and stay in it. But what we have found is that we're using our house in different ways. And there are some places that have multifunctions. Um, and so the question that I'm posing you today, uh, Mitch, is what used to be the favorite, your favorite room in your house and what is now your favorite room in your house and why? You know, I mean, up to uh, this point, and there's a lot of, it's a kind of a loaded question from my end because there was uh, a period in time in our lives where the kids were here, lots of things going on in the house, a lot of activity, uh, probably similar to your house. Yeah. Uh, but when the boys went off to college, it became really quiet. And so Missy and I were here, empty nesters for 
all of four months. <laughs> but, it, you know, we, we leaned into that and we began to enjoy the quietness of our house. Um, and so, uh, you know, what we have discovered during this uh, shelter in place order that, uh, that we're living under now is that you're right. These, these rooms are becoming repurposed. And so now our guest bedroom is where our youngest is living and attending class. Our upstairs bonus room is where our oldest is now living. In fact, our upstairs bonus room is where you and I used to record. I the know. Coastal or Podloft. He did. He saw our Podloft. But he's up there now and uh, living and, and attending class up there uh, virtually, obviously. Um, but really, there's two rooms that we kind of repurposed. One is part of our garage here of our house. Because we can no longer go to the gym, we can't get out and exercise through running and walking. But uh, Tanner and I kind of like to, to lift weights every now and again. So we have a weight bench and we got some weights and got a weight bar. And so kind of turned our part of our garage into a gym. So he and I have been going out there in the mornings and in the evenings sometimes and lifting weights and talking. And so that's that's been really enjoyable uh, to kind of reconnect with him on a uh, on a, a different a different uh, plane, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, from our usual norm. And then what's been fascinating too has just been dinner time. Hmm. Uh, you know, we haven't gathered around the table uh, in a long time because everybody's been living in separate spaces and um, and then or watching some television at night in the living room. These rooms that were a bit quiet, which again, Missy and I enjoyed the quietness. <laughs> Uh, as empty masters and filled with life mm -hmm. and what a beautiful thing to see I mean we hate that the circumstances that brought us to this but if you're going to be shut up in a house uh, for an experience uh, it's nice to be able to to to, to talk and to, to communicate and to enjoy your spaces where you live absolutely yeah, I, I completely agree with that and feel like the dinner table has become, um, has become a really special place. We eat dinner together most nights, but um, until he lost his job recently, my husband hadn't been home for dinner in a few months sure. um, on a regular basis. And so we've really carved out that time where, I mean, definitely there are times when we would rather sit in front of the TV and watch an old episode of Andy Griffith during dinner. Um, and Lord knows we've seen enough, enough of each other's faces by dinner time, but we've really tried to hold that space um, and sit at dinner and talk to one another and pose these questions and, and things like that. And so I agree that the, the dining room has sort of become the place where we rejuvenate and um, not just fill our, our stomachs, but also kind of fill our, our souls a little bit with each other and with conversation. Um, and you know, my, my old favorite place in our house was our kitchen. Cause you know, I love to cook. Right. 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 And it, it still is. That is my solace. That is where I go to kind of center myself. And uh, I still love that. But our son's room is really has become my office sure. uh, because it's quiet enough. I mean, you're oh, going to hear that cave, good faith media. That's right. It is the Batcave. Um, in fact, usually you can see in the background his Gotham toys, um, but it's the quietest place in our house where I can get get away. And our two year old doesn't know that I'm here, so we just tell her that I'm leaving, and that she's not banging on the door wanting to talk to Mama. So um, it's yeah, I've never spent as much time in this room as I have now, but it's it's great. It has a window, and I think that natural light really does a lot for my mood, which I'm trying to stay kind of tapped into.
You know, something that you said earlier kind of resonated too. I've been talking with some of my friends about the fact that you can be both things. Like you can be sad that this is the situation and worried about what it means for our future, um, but also be thankful for the moment and make the best of it. Yeah. And that's what we're going to do in the deeper dive here in a moment. We're going to talk about has this pandemic forced us to take a great pause. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. And in this week's deeper dive, we're going to talk about an article that was posted on April 2nd by Jessica McDougall from Raleigh, North Carolina at ethicsdaily.com entitled, Does Coronavirus Give You Chance to Take what she calls the great pause. And the article is absolutely fascinating because it talks about the importance of the Sabbath in the Bible and our struggle as a people of faith taking the Sabbath when things are normal. Hmm. And she poses the question, has this pandemic forced us to take the great pause or to take Sabbath more seriously? What do you think, Autumn? Yeah, and I think it's it it is definitely forced, and it feels forced. Um, but I think leaning into it instead of trying to pull away is something that I've learned to do. You mentioned that you guys are in week one; we're in week three of right. hunkering down. Um, mm-hmm. I have an underlying heart condition, and so we are just having to be super, super careful. Sure. And it, it feels, it, you know, it definitely feels forced, but. I find myself wondering, like, when was the last time we truly had Sabbath? Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, as a mom with young children, Sunday doesn't feel very restful. Right. <laughs> right. By the time we get up and we get everyone ready for church, um, some of our children have met the Lord a few times before we get to 5.35. Jesus showed up and, hey, we're uh, come to meet Jesus time? Is that Absolutely. Okay. Grab somebody about okay. shirt collar. Uh, not really. <laughs> we, we don't encourage violence. <laughs> um, but, you know, you get home from church and you have to, like, rush and get people fed before it's time for naps. And then, you know, then we have FaceTime with grandparents. And by the time we look up, it's Monday. And... Okay. I feel the rest that has come from this forced Sabbath for sure. You know, one of the things that the situations like this began to uh, force us to reflect upon is the busyness of our life. And I'm not talking about necessarily just work and school and the day-to-day activities it takes to, to get by as family, but all the other things that we uh, involve ourselves in that we don't know are taking more time than, than we could ever think about. Um, you know, I remember back uh, when uh, some of the professional sports went on strike and it was kind of a gamble on their part because they went on strike. And then all of a sudden a month or two later, you're like, you know, I, I can live without this. <laughs> I don't have to have it. Do I miss it? Do I do it? Yeah, but I don't have to have it. You yeah. know, the world goes around. Um, and I'm wondering if that's the case that many people are finding even today, just the, it seems like we are obsessed with being busy. Yeah. And has this forced pause uh, really enlightened us to think about some of those things that we could probably give up when this pandemic is over with? Yeah. I've heard a lot of people questioning um, how much of my old normal do I want to let back? Oh, I like that. Yeah. That, you know, just because you used to do it and it used to be, 
your normal pattern doesn't need to be what continues. And this really allows all of us, not just a a Sabbath, but a reset for things going in the future that may help us to um, intentionally hold a space for a true Sabbath in our, in our regular lives, should they continue (laughs) ever. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Autumn, you're a mother of four and a spouse of one, obviously lots of activity in your house. So let me ask you this. How do you personally find Sabbath during this time? I think that's a great question. Um, and I'm not just saying this because you're my boss, but <laughs> I, I am so thankful to have um, a career, a life path now that I wake up every morning knowing that I'm doing something that is really um, important to me and that it you know, fuels the, the beating of my heart. And it's something I want to wake up and do and, and do good um, with you guys and with everyone kind of in our, our constituency. So, you know, work sort of feels like Sabbath to me. Um, that has not always been the case. And so I'm really, really thankful for that. I'm still kind of in that honeymoon period, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have a dartboard with your face on it yet. Let's just do it that way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <That's laughs> but we'll have to make me yeah. one eventually, I know. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I think we talked about it earlier, but it's just in the kitchen. I really try to strategize um, weekend meals, especially that are a little more involved, things mm-hmm. like homemade bread. Um, from, from scratch pasta, things that take time, food, some foods can't be rushed. And so I think there's something really, um, I don't know, something just really, you can really learn from that sometimes. Yeah. Well, good. Well, what about good. you? Well, you know, I've uh, taken up running again. So in the mornings I'll go out for a, a quick run and it's just me by myself. Um, and I've noticed that with the time, with uh, everybody indoors now, there's not a lot of runners or walkers early in the morning. So a lot of times it's just me mm-hmm. and I'm able to just breathe and be by myself and offer some prayers and talk to God and just really exist outside of the chaos of the world right now. And so that's really been helpful. Uh, I told you a moment ago early in the episode that uh, my son and I put together a little gym out in our uh, uh, garage and, and that's been an escape for me as well. But then also I've rearranged my schedule. And I know that parents of young children have a, you know, have a more difficult time doing this. But in the morning before I really start my work day, I really take time to read a couple of chapters of a book. Uh, I love, I've always loved to read and always been an avid reader, but just really kind of enjoying reading for pleasure uh, now. Uh, when you're a minister, when you're you know, in the professional world or you're working and taking care of family and stuff like that, um, sometimes reading for pleasure gets pushed aside. Just really trying to connect with a good story these days. Are you looking for a new way to grow your faith? Nurturing Faith is offering five of their best-selling devotionals for only $12 for Good Faith weekly listeners. Go to nurturingfaith.net to find hope from Carol Bozeman Taylor, John R. Roebuck, Blake McKinney, Michael L. Ruffin, and Merrill J. Davies. The books are all available in the bookstore section of the Nurturing Faith website. And now, back to Mitch and Autumn. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly, and this week in our interview segment, we are very fortunate to have Rabbi Bob Alper from East Dorset, Vermont. Rabbi Alper has served congregations in Buffalo and Philadelphia, and more recently, he is serving the world congregation through his humor. 
he is a comedian. Uh, Reverend, or uh, sorry, Rabbi Alfred. It's great to have <laughs> that you. Hobbit's going to be hard to break, Mitch. It is. <laughs> <exactly> <laughs> <right>. <laughs> uh, so it's great to have you today. Welcome. Thank you. You can say revered Rabbi. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome to the show. So, our first question for you you mentioned as we were chatting before we started recording today, you mentioned that you fell into comedy. So, how does a distinguished rabbi? get into such a seedy underbelly kind of world. <laughs> wow. First of all, it, it was, when I was, when I was a kid, uh, when I was little, the word we used to use for our rear end was not, not fanny or butt. We called it a tutu. Okay. <laughs> a tutu. So I, I don't, I have no, maybe our family word, but I can recall a babysitter came to the house. She said, does anyone want to go to the park? And one kid said, I want to go. And my, my sister said, I want to go too. And I can remember saying, I want to go to two. And, you know, people might th not think that's so hysterical, but I remember thinking at that very moment, I am one funny toddler. You've been honing your craft since a young age, right? Exactly. exactly. So I was always funny. I, and, you know, I said that I always use jokes and funny stories in my sermons in front of my congregations, which has given me over 47 years' experience performing in front of a hostile audience. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> and, and the turning point actually came uh, in 1986. I had served as an assistant uh, rabbi in a huge congregation in Buffalo for six years. Then I had my own 400 family, 400 family congregation in Philadelphia for eight years. Then I left. I had earned a doctorate. I decided I wanted to do counseling, uh, officiated life cycle events. And that summer, I saw this little notice in the Jewish Weekly in Philadelphia. Do you think you're funny? If so, sign up for the Jewish Comic of the Year contest. So I did. I had to comic of the words. Year. Jewish oh. Comic of the Year contest. Um, I signed up. Um, there were 100 people applied. There were 13 finalists. We had to do five minutes at a comedy club in Philadelphia. And I came in third behind a chiropractor and a lawyer. <laughs> that sounds like <laughs> a joke in itself. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but but the, one of the judges was the hostess of uh, the, the top-rated local TV talk show, morning talk show, AM Philadelphia. She thought I should have won. And so she had me on her show. She was right, by the way. Uh, she had me on her show. Well, because the, the lawyer went long and the chiropractor was dirty. I mean, come on. I, I said, yeah, all right, there you so, go. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, she had me on her show. And that started it. And within two or three years, I was doing shows, a lot of shows. You know? and, uh, wow. It's been... Wonderful. I mean, it's a dream come true. I still can't believe that I'm a stand-up comic, which I just adore doing it. You know, if getting up in front of an audience and making people laugh or, or making one person laugh in the produce aisle, it's, it's immediate gratification. You know, you, you can't fake laughter. You can say, oh, I'm really interested in your story. Well, yeah, maybe you might not. You might or you might not be. Um, but you can't. You can't fake laughter, and if you can make somebody laugh, um, you're doing that. What we just call a mitzvah. You're doing a good deed. Yeah. Uh, you're you're giving them something, and it's immediate, and the, the, the feedback is immediate. And, right. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, I, I, so, Bob, I mean, compare and kind of contrast for our audience. I mean, uh, there's you know congregational ministry. It's a day to day, week to week. Um, you know, a ministry that you're relating to people, you're in their lives, and many times very intimate uh, moments in their lives. 
And now your ministry of comedy to uh, audiences around the country, um, relate the two for us. I mean, what, what's, what's the big difference? It, you know, it's just scale. It's pretty much the same. It's uh, um, in congregational life. It's, it's often one-on-one or, or it could be a, a high holy discern in front of you know, 800 people, but it's, you're, and you're relating to people there, um, helping, helping them through crises, um, individual events in their lives. Comedy is, you're relating to people in a, in a different way. It's, it's not quite as intimate because I don't know their backgrounds, what they're going through. But I do know that when I make people laugh, uh, it's helpful. Um, and there's a holiness to laughter, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not just diversion. Uh, uh, there's a holiness to it. And, and uh, um, I've had three occasions after I've done a show in front of a couple hundred people uh, where a woman's come up to me and said, um, she said, you know, she said, my husband died six months ago and tonight was the first time I've laughed. Wow. So, you know, to, to be, to have the, the honor of being able to serve in a role where you can touch people, strangers, as it were, in such a, a positive way is, it's a gift that I absolutely treasure. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, what a great story. I mean, laughter is certainly a, a balm for all of us who have uh, scars and, and wounds. So thank you for doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I caught some of your act uh, online uh, at uh, which we encourage all of our listeners to go to uh, right after they finish listening to the pod. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, you're hilarious. It had some, some great, great, great material there. Thank you. I noticed that, uh, you know, some of your jokes, you know, poke fun at uh, faith, uh, which is always a good thing. Have you ever got any pushback? Anybody said, hey, 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 Rabbi, you've gone too far. Right. Only my wife. <laughs> Amen. You don't think about that, do you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we were married, my late uncle was was one of the officiants, and he said to her, and not thinking I'd ever be a comedian, but he said something very wise. He said to, to Sherry, you will be a gentle critic. And, mm. you know, we've been married for 50 years, and I prize that, um, that she is a, a gentle critic. And I, I try things out on her, and if I've gone too far, she will let me know. Often, though, I'll do a joke, and she'll just say, yeah, yeah. And then I'll say, I'm going to make that one work. Mm-hmm. And often I do, but you know, in, 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 wait, hang on, I'm getting a, a beep. I'm going to just try and stop it from beeping. Um, in terms of uh, um, my material, no, I, I don't go too far. You know, for example, um, I don't do jokes about circumcision. Right. You know, circumcision—that's an easy joke. Sure. Uh, it's a cheap joke. It's a—it's what comedians call a dick joke. Mm-hmm. Dick jokes always get laughs because yeah. they're really easy. Um, right. But, you know, circumcisions, it's a sacred ceremony. The, the, sure. uh, so I don't do that, but I will do jokes about Jews behaving in silly ways, sure. for example. I mean, I talk about, uh, um, oh, my favorite uh, uh, personals ad in, uh, in the Florida papers. They have uh, Jewish people put in uh, these personals ads. And my favorite one is... Uh, a uh, single Jewish woman seeks single Jewish man with dead mother. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm trying to shut this phone off. Um, 
or um, uh, you know, I'll talk about wedding ceremonies, um, about uh, um, oh, a uh, uh, a nervous groom. I said, Phil, would you please face Nancy and recite the vows? He said, uh, uh, A E I O U. <laughs> Uh, I, or, you know, I do a thing of, um, I haven't done this in the act lately but I, um, I probably should put it in the act it's an old joke I haven't used in a while but anyway, story about uh, uh, came across a couple of uh, members of my congregation, two very important men walking into the board of trustees meeting and as I walked up to them and behind them I heard one say to the other, I'm not sure which way I'm going to vote on the issue but I'm prepared to be bitter <laughs> there you go Man, you're talking about Baptist, aren't you? Right. <laughs> Being a Baptist, you were just, um, before this pandemic, you were touring uh, the Laugh and Peace Tour, and you were, you were touring with a Baptist pastor and a Muslim. So how right. does that work? Uh, you know, that's one of my favorite things in my life, first of all, because I really love Susan Sparks, who is the minister that I work with, and Gibran Salim, who is the Muslim a psychologist whom, whom I work with. Uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, when we perform, people think, oh, they, they're, they're here performing. That's the, the fun part. No, the fun part is dinner. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> we miss each other. But um, I've been doing this since 2002, actually. Uh, in 2001, the end of 2001, I hired a publicist in LA. Um, I figured you know, it's worth an investment. She'll raise my visibility, which is what they're supposed to do. Uh, she was not particularly effective. I mean, basically, she got me into the witness protection program. <laughs> so, so uh, um, but she said, you know, Bob, I got this great idea. Why don't you do a show with a Muslim comedian? And I said, do you have any other ideas? <laughs> it wasn't the idea of working with a Muslim. It was working with another comedian because they tend to be neurotic. But she, she found a guy, and uh, we ended up swapping videotapes across the country, liked what we saw. We tried it out, and uh, he and I did about 500 shows, and then uh, he got into movies and TV, and so I transitioned to I work with a, a number of, of Muslim comics, all very good good comedians. And we had fun, you know, when we talk across the country. And I called him one day and said, what's new in L.A., where he lived? He said, well, I, I saw Justin Timberlake in, uh, in Starbucks. What's new in Vermont? I said, a moose crossed our driveway. <laughs> <laughs> Diverse in lots of ways, huh? Right, right. Yeah. But, but, you know, the, the Laugh and Peace, we call it the Laugh and Peace Tour. Mm-hmm. And if people go on my website, they'll see some uh, demo video, about a five or seven minute video of the Laugh and Peace Tour. Now, we do a lot of shows and all kinds of venues, everything from the World Bank to the Clinton Presidential Library uh, to churches, mosques, synagogues. Uh, uh, it's, it's wonderful. Um, and uh, we're still doing it. Can't, can't wait for the next show. Yeah. But we're going to have you know, to wait because of this coronavirus. So. Right, absolutely. It's so important for people to see people from uh, individuals, especially leaders, uh, clergy uh, from all faiths, uh, not only interacting with one another, with laughing with one another. My good friend, yeah. one of my best friends here in Oklahoma City is an imam, and we've actually had him on the show before, Imad and Chauncey. And uh-huh. one of the things that people really enjoy about our presentation when we talk is the fact that we're constantly laughing at, uh, yeah. laughing with one another and laughing at one another. Uh, it's just it's just so nice to see. There's something calming about that, and 
uh, breaks down barriers when, when we laugh. So, yeah, it's, 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 and, and what I love is, is when we, particularly when we do mixed audiences, college audiences, uh, I love seeing Jewish kids realizing that Muslims are very funny and, uh, uh, the, and the opposite. Uh, Christians, of course, are not funny. That's another story. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I do a lecture on the spirituality of laughter, and I always explain that Christians are not funny. Um, I went to Princeton Theological Seminary and did a, a Doctor of Ministry degree. And the first class, there were eight ministers, two priests, and a rabbi, and we would meet once a week. And the director of the program was a man named the Reverend Doctor J. Randall Nichols, He's a tall man with a deep voice a marvelous teacher. And he began by saying Presbyterians are not funny. Well, he's the instructor. We, we believe whatever he says, right. you know, okay. And then 20 minutes into the uh, class, uh, one of my colleagues was presenting, presenting a case study about a really uh, um, difficult woman in his congregation. And he finished. And then the Reverend Dr. J. Randall Nichols looked at the class and said, yes, she's the kind of person that you want to kill her and then tell God she died. <laughs> <laughs> We've never known anyone like that, Mitch. No, <laughs> a single person like that at all. <laughs> yeah, so, so, of course, you know, I can't resist being a comedian. I had to pipe up. I mean, it was my first day in class. I'm kind of nervous, but I, I had to tell the story of the member of my congregation, whom I called, not, not in front of him, but I called him the king of constructive criticism because he never missed an opportunity to tell me how I could... Uh, uh, get better sermons or conduct services or, or organize. Never, never failed. One yeah. time he came up, gave us his latest, uh, gave me his latest advice. And I looked at him and I said, you know, Phil, I wish I had, I wish I had 10 congregants just like you. He said, really? Why do you say that? I said, because I have 20 congregants just like you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> How'd he take it? <laughs> <laughs> Not a true story. But. Uh, yeah. Uh, right. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Although I, there is a true story. I, one guy, we, in Buffalo, we had two buildings, the downtown building where the synagogue sanctuary is located and a suburban religious school, a suburban building we call it. And one day, one of the, you know, in conversation, the guy smiles and says, you know, Bob, I pay your salary. I said, no, Ed, actually, your congregational dues are dedicated to buying toilet paper in the suburban building. <laughs> we just designated it right over. Well, Rabbi Alper, um, obviously you mentioned the pandemic earlier in the interview, and we are in the middle of some very perilous times. Uh, it seems like every day we we open up the paper and the case count continues to escalate, the death count continues to grow. Right. And, you know, as serious as, as this moment is, and as people find themselves frightened and afraid, we understand that comedy has historically been a tool to help us cope, to help us interpret, and also an outlet for us to find peace. Mm -hmm. um, can you just talk about the importance of laughter and comedy for our audience who are really kind of feeling afraid in these dark yeah. days. Sure. Appropriate laughter, and that's, that's the key. Yeah. Because all kinds of laughter, laughter at expense of other people, laughter that makes you feel dirty afterwards, that, all kinds of negative, but appropriate uh, laughter 
um, has so many uh, ramifications. And if somebody once called it internal aerobics. Mm-hmm. Um, it shakes you up. It, it, it excites the endorphins. It's healing, mm-hmm. uh, both spiritually and also physically healing. And Norman Cousins um, checked himself out of the hospital when he was uh, very ill into a hotel and watched Marx Brothers movies. And he said a few minutes of laughter and he was able to sleep for an hour and a half. Wow. Uh, it, it helps. So my job is to help people laugh. And, and, and they know I take them seriously. You know, in a funeral, I often use, when appropriate, uh, a little bit of humor. Yeah. And then we get really serious. In, in a sermon, I'll use a, a little bit of humor and then get serious. Um, so it's not all stand-up comedy. But when I'm making people laugh, um, it's, it's raising their spirits. Um, it's um, a way to, to, to cope. Um, right. One of the things that I'm doing uh, is I've, I've developed uh, an email that I'm sending out every day called Quick Laugh, singular, Quick Laugh. Quick and laugh. in it, yep, and in it I have um, one clip of my act. I've got 80 stored away, so I'm going to do, be doing this for a long time. It doesn't take a lot of time. You know, a lot of stuff you get, uh, it's funny, but it's, you have to watch for five minutes until you get the punchline. Mine, like the one that's out um, recently, um, it's, I'm just looking at the camera. I'm, I'm doing stand-up. It's, uh, it was taped uh, during a, a show. And the whole joke goes, uh, um, they say people and their dogs, uh, they begin to look alike, uh, act alike. A little reciprocity goes on. For example, um, in our house, um, it, my dog gives me kisses and my wife turns around three times before she sits. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so people people can open the link they'll see that and that's the end that's all they'll see and then tomorrow they'll see um like this is one i did a couple of days ago they'll see me saying uh we follow jewish tradition in our family we named our son after my grandfather we call him grandpa mm-hmm. and uh um it's it's nice uh, uh we we found out years ago we were able to to get a student loan for him uh-huh. We we loaned them to a family in Iowa. <laughs> so how do, so, how do we sign up to get these uh, well, quick laughs? The the best way um, um, is to send me an email because mm-hmm. I, I haven't figured out another way. That I, I don't have it on my website yet. Mm-hmm. But if people send to just bob at bobalper.com and include their email address and the email address of anyone they want, I'll add them right now it's bob at b-o-b-a-l-p-e-r dot com mm-hmm. by the way people think our name is alpert oh really uh, yeah it used to be alpert but we uh, we dropped the t at a party in boston so but if, if they send an email to uh, anytime bob at bobalpert.com i'll put them on the list and every day probably 10 o'clock in the morning they will get a quick video joke Right. Um, and on that link, they can forward it to friends and they can uh, uh, subscribe themselves if they haven't subscribed. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled with this. I've, it's been out, it's thir- three days now, and, and uh, I've, I'm thrilled with the response with people thanking me for, for doing this because, you know, it's tough. It's a tough time. And this is one way, this is one way they can get through a day. Absolutely. 
Well, so at Good Faith Media, um, our motto is there's more to tell. And we sort of fancy ourselves a conduit to help people who have stories to tell. And so we like to ask the folks that we interview what their more to tell is. Well, you know, I, I think it's my understanding of comedy goes to um, a line for, from Maya Angelou. She says, people forget what you say and they forget what you do, but they never forget how you make them feel. Mm -hmm. And if you can make somebody laugh, you make them feel good. Mm -hmm. And the most, I want to leave you with this, the, the most wonderful moment of this 30-year career took place about 10 years ago. I was doing a show and after the show, a woman who I knew was dying of cancer came up to me. And she looked at me, she said, you know, she said for an hour and a half, I forgot I was sick. Wow. I'll leave you with that. Wow. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Rabbi Bob Alper from East Dorset, Vermont. Rabbi, it was a delight to have you. Make certain you visit uh, Rabbi Alper's website at bobalper.com. You can buy DVDs, CDs, and books there at the website and watch some of his videos. It has been a joy, my friend. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.